The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Traconides, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As I decorated my house with lights yesterday, always a, a favorite time of, of year for my family, and I'm reminded of the very real fact that I sometimes joke about in Advent as I put out my decorations out on my front lawn, the reindeers and all of that kind of thing, that no one I bet you, no one I bet you is out there putting a John the Baptist ornament or decoration on the front lawn. Now, if you know somebody who does, please, you know, take a picture, send it to me. I'd love to see it. Um, and I bet uh, I was the only one on my block, actually, as I was thinking about my sermon, uh, thinking about John the Baptist. And I bet you all here today will be the only ones in your friend group who today on this second Advent will be thinking about or will have even heard the name John the Baptist today. Advent readings don't reflect the spirit that we want for this time of year. They are tough, they are poignant, and a struggle sometimes, especially for preachers, as we seek to impart Advent meaning, formulate sermons in our minds while walking past the uh, festive perfume counters at Macy's trying to see how we can put focus on how the mystery of all of this season joins with history in this place and time, especially in light of all the divisions, the challenges, and especially as we hear of yet another school shooting, recognizing that depression and suicide rates among teens are at, a, at an all-time high where hope and peace and joy and love seem like a distant or impossible destination for so many. John the Baptist is dramatic, and he is a very uncomfortable presence because what he's telling us is that we are to take stock about what is important and see where our priorities lie. How are we shaping the world? Are the structures we have in place, are they all working? Are we seeking hope or are we just seeking glory? Are we desiring to be right 
No matter the cost, are we arming ourselves, literally arming ourselves, unnecessarily because we see this as the only way to save ourselves? Are we taking matters into our own hands once again because our trust lies within our own nature and what our mind tells us rather than what our heart is yearning to impart? Are we still not trusting God to be a real active agent in our lives? Well, a lot can go through a preacher's mind as she rides the escalator up to women's apparel. John the Baptist is dramatic. He's trying to get our attention so that we can, in turn, seek the attention that is most important, the attention we need most, God's attention. Now, in light of my sermon last week where I talked about making the path straight through prayer and preparing the arrival of Jesus, as I switched on the lights that were hung around my house, I thought about what it means once more to make the path straight for this glorious arrival. The lights that we put up not only represent joy, hope, love, and peace, all these themes for this season, but they also announce the willingness to be seen, a wish to be found, in the darkness of night, especially during this darkest time of the year, a light in the darkness announces our presence. It also announces our desire to be seen by the one who can bring peace. It's, it's like a landing strip of sorts. Look at me, I'm right here. Last week in First Advent, I spoke about preparing the way for hope, the hope that will be born into the world. And today in this second week of Advent, I want to talk about and focus a little bit on peace. Today in the Gospel, we have the meeting of the factual and the mystical coming together. We've got this whole first part of the Gospel that lists factual names of rulers and regions, a mini history lesson, and then we jump into the poetry and mystery of Isaiah. It's clear that Luke is putting the mystical into history, grounding the mighty acts of God, as one scholar says, firmly rooting real history with salvation history, making the regular with mixing the regular with the miraculous, the ordinary with the extraordinary, the natural with the supernatural. Why? Well, again, what we learn over and over is that we believe God is with us, right? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We just sung that a couple of minutes ago. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. In this meeting of heaven and earth, we are mingled in, with, mingled in with God's work of salvation and with this work in the words of Luke quoting Isaiah, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. In other words, the journey 
will be made easier, smoother, and the landscape equalized. Equalized. Yes, John the Baptist is urging us once again to repent so that forgiveness can happen. Why? Because he knows this will bring about peace. This will smooth the path. This will bring us toward reconciliation because there's no path to peace without reconciliation. Repentance isn't just a thing you say you do in order to check off a box. It requires a deep searching within ourselves to say, hey, you know what? I've maybe not been all that sincere or truthful, or maybe I've been selfish or arrogant or harmful to another person in some way, or, or I've done something I shouldn't have done. And while most of us justify in our minds the actions we do as being right, sometimes we have to listen to what, what the other person is saying and try to find, you know, is there a bit of truth in what they're saying? Uh, is there something that they're saying that I need to do in order to make this path straight and equalize the situation? If any one of us, myself included, has a conflict with a neighbor, a brother, a sister, a friend, or whomever, we are to look within ourselves to see if there's something we can do to reconcile the situation, not just telling the other person what they need to do. Now, I can guarantee you that there will be times where you won't be able to change another person's mind or that you, you still may butt heads on your ideals versus their ideals or, or their version of truth is different than your version of the truth. But then the task is to find reconciliation in your own heart so that you can live in peace. And no one in my mind can speak to reconciliation more than Desmond Tutu, the former Archbishop of Cape Town, who lived through apartheid in South Africa, who was part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission put together when apartheid was dissolved in South Africa, had to find a way forward where old hurts and serious abuses had to be revealed and recognized in order to find a straight path forward. Now, they made a conscious decision in South Africa not to return the abuse, not to retaliate against those who had caused so much harm and so much brutality. They did this so that peace could prevail, so that God's justice could prevail and healing could take place where the cycle of revenge and retaliation and rejection of a shared humanity, where the pain, where choosing harm, violence, cruelty, all of that could be changed into a cycle of renewal and forgiveness by releasing the cruel relationships, naming the hurt, telling the story, living in the light of truth, all the while inviting God into the process, because that is where transformation happens, bringing the mystery into the history, the extraordinary into the ordinary, the miraculous into the regular. God 
lives in the midst of reconciliation. And this is the path for peace. Now the other point that I would like to make today about peace is to recognize that this is literally the darkest time of the year, especially as we make our way towards the winter solstice on the 21st, the actual darkest night of the year. But it is and can be a time when it is also darkest in our hearts because we may be experiencing grief. The loss of a loved one, the separation still of our friends and family due to this dreadful pandemic. As we anticipate this time of great joy and celebration in a couple of weeks with all the celebrations and the dinners and the parties and the gatherings, all of that can bring forth memories of past joy and hope and peace and love that maybe we felt at one time, but maybe we don't feel like that right now. Sometimes this can be the most difficult time of the year, and repentance may not be on our mind or the way that our path needs to be made straight right now. If you are feeling this way, I know that there is no instant remedy for grief. Yet grief, although painful and unwelcome, is an important part of our lives because when we grieve, we highlight the love that we have in our hearts. This love in and of itself is cause for celebration. You have loved, and that is an amazing thing. I'll say that again. You have loved. And that is an amazing thing. That is miraculous. It's extraordinary. It's divine. And it's a huge accomplishment. This love in your heart will never go away, nor should it, which means it seems that the grief will never go away. And sometimes we think that letting go of the grief or wishing for peace in this grief will mean that we will have forgotten the love that we have felt and still feel, that we can never truly love again. But this is not true. This is not true. The love never goes away, and peace will come. The valley shall be filled, and the mountain will be made low, and you will be able to walk again without stumbling as you continue on this journey. In much of Scripture, the Word of God, the revelation of God, the appearances of God, when heaven comes down to earth, it's not through kings and emperors or the high priests or the super extraordinary people, but rather to those who could be deemed ordinary, to those who may not think even they are worthy to receive such a blessing. Now, this should bring comfort and bring peace to us as we go about our lives that we are as important as the next person. We are as important as the next person in God's history of salvation. It shows us that we are seen. We are seen and we deserve peace. In the second week of Advent, we focus on peace. And as we do this, think about what is it that you need 
for peace to be a part of your life at this time? What needs to happen? What is your part in bringing about this peace? If you'd rather there be chaos because for some reason that's more comfortable, acknowledge that too. Light a candle, hang some lights, not only because they are beautiful and peaceful, but light a candle to acknowledge that, yes, you do seek God's attention, and then know that when you light that candle, you are seen in the darkness. Ask for peace, ask for reconciliation, ask for healing in whatever shape or form that may be. Allow yourself to welcome the mystery with the history, the extraordinary with the ordinary. Remember that in the beginning, in the very, very beginning of salvation history, in Genesis, when the world was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the earth, what did God say? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. Amen.